I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, in the seventh episode of the series, Ireland Untraveled, we travel from Belfast in Northern Ireland to Mosul in Iraq to Calicut in India, and uncover the global shame of Western museums. Twelve fifteen a.m., fifteenth April, nineteen twelve. What you just heard was the ship sending out CQD signals. It was one of the first distress signals adopted for radio use. It eventually was replaced by the more popular SOS. Come at once. We have struck a berg. It's a CQD. the other ship carpetia asked shall i tell my captain do you require assistance yes come quick one forty-five a.m 15th april 1912 come as quickly as possible old man the engine room is filling up to the boilers 2:10 a.m. C Q. The last message, as you would have guessed by now, is from the RMS Titanic. What succeeded the CQ message was silence on the radio waves, a silent acknowledgement of the sinking of the unsinkable ship. I witnessed this exchange displayed at the Titanic Museum at Belfast. The museum is a work of art. For it beautifully illustrates the journey of the construction of the Titanic, its grand first voyage, and its eventual sinking. Right across the room, where the final messages of the Titanic are displayed, are the large glass windows with a view of the docks. These are the very docks on which the Titanic was built. In fact, the economy of Belfast was initially built on trade through Belfast Harbour. In its later years. Shipbuilding became a major source of income, along with one more industry. This industry is widely featured in the Titanic Museum. In fact, an entire section is dedicated to it, for it at the time made Belfast the world's largest shipyard. But for that story, we would need to travel thousands of miles away to the town of Mosul in Iraq, and closer home to the shores of Calicut in India. The city of Mosul in recent memory gained notoriety for being under the control of ISIS for 3 horrifying years. But the city has a rich past and was once a hub for trade. It was considered to be the home of cloth so fine that it was the finest gifts one could give. It said that an entire sari made out of this cloth could fit into a matchbox. It also came to be known as ventus textila or fabric like wind and warned women from wearing it with nothing underneath in the 7th century 
the Chinese travel Yuan Chang called it light vapors of dawn. We know this cloth more popularly as muslin, and it got its name from the city of Mosul. But why were people in Mosul, Iraq, making sarees? A distinctly South Asian garment? Because muslin actually never came from Mosul, but most probably from Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. It came from the undivided Bengal. The finest quality of muslin was known as malmal, which got immortalized in the Lata Mangeshkar song. Hawa me urta jaye, mera lal dupatta malmal ka, mera lal dupatta malmal. The other fabric came from one of the weaving castes of Kerala, specifically from Calicut. The Salyas, who originally belonged to Tamil Nadu, Andhra Pradesh, and Karnataka, they used cotton from Tamil Nadu and Gujarat, and created an unfinished, unbleached fabric. Skilled painters and printers developed sophisticated techniques to embellish these cottons, typically using natural dyes. Traditionally, they were painted using a specialized bamboo pen, or printed using wooden blocks. The fabric got its name from calico, calico, which eventually went on to be known as chintz to the Western world. By the 17th century, it reached European shores. At first, calico was used for home linens, like tablecloths, napkins, and bags. But eventually, working-class women in Europe started to turn calico castoffs into apparel, starting a proper craze. It was then that the chintz pattern we now recognize started to circulate more broadly. In 1612, the British established two trading stations in Surat and Masulipatnam. Both bustling port towns in India, the popularity of muslin and calico made British import these fabrics from undivided India in record numbers. They bound local weavers into contracts that forced them to sell exclusively to the British, thereby fixing market prices. In some cases, the company fixed the prices so low that weavers could hardly recover 80 percent of their cost of production. Meanwhile, the East India Company made exorbitant profits. Documents show that those who did not toe the British line had been imprisoned, confined in irons, fined considerable sums of money, and flogged. In extreme cases, the winders of raw silk, called nagars, had been known for cutting off their thumbs to prevent being forced to wind silk. But the colonialists wanted to play the long game and cripple Indian textiles. They used the oldest trick in the book: taxation. British manufacturers were levied an 85% tax for importing Indian handwoven calico, and 44% for importing Indian muslin. On the other hand, British textiles were only imposed a 5% import tax in India, and thus began the systematic deindustrialization of India's textile heritage. From being an exporter of high-quality finished textiles, we became an exporter of cotton. But where did all this cotton go? It went to Lancashire, where cheaper alternatives to calico were developed. These mass-produced textiles then flooded the Indian market, virtually finishing off our indigenous textile industries. When the British arrived on Indian shores, India contributed 25% to the global textile trade. By the time they left, our share was down to 2%. But Lancashire was not the only place where mass production took place. The other was Belfast. 
If one traces the evolution of modern Belfast, it's easy to see that it was built on the bulwark of linen mills. At the beginning of the 20th century, Belfast became the largest producer of linen in the world. The Titanic Museum goes to great lengths to showcase the rise of Belfast at the world stage. At the same time, it brings to light the working conditions in these mills. Inhalation of dust causing lung disease, the hot and humid conditions leading to chest infections. Walking barefoot in water in the spinning rooms led to painful foot conditions. The specter of death loomed large. If the working conditions in the factories were poor, the docks were no better off. Accidents such as falling into the river and being crushed were common. The diet of these poor workers was often only tea and bread. This section of the museum was meant to evoke a sense of sadness over the harsh realities of these workers. But one question remained unaddressed. Over whose dead bodies did Belfast become the linen capital of the world? The entire museum has absolutely zero acknowledgement that the fortune of Belfast was built at the altar where Indian textile industry and workers were sacrificed. The pride never accounted for the seedy details of how this wealth came about. In over a decade of travel, this is a theme which has been seen all across the colonizing world. An overt omission of the fact that their wealth, standard of living and quality of life has been built on the loot plunder and pillage of their colonies. Their museums are filled with artifacts often stolen from colonies. The idea of this acknowledgement is not to return to a time of previous glories, but to simply accept that the colonial project was absolutely disastrous, inflicting economic and psychological damage on the inhabitants. If the Indian textile industry had a voice then, it would send out SOS signals all over the world. But much like the Titanic, it sank and never recovered its lost glory. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YB Travel 42 on Instagram.